What's up, everybody? This is Iron Mike Stedman. And as always, I want to thank you for tuning into my show, Dog Whistle Brandon. Today on DWB, I'm joined by specialization and positioning expert, Philip Morgan, author of the book, The Positioning Manual for Indie Consultants. Find the strategic beachhead that will amplify your visibility, momentum, impact, and profit. As many of you know, my goal is to make Ironbound Media the number one brand strategy firm for veteran-owned businesses. And for the last year, I've been reading and conducting research on how to accomplish this, which is how I discovered Philip's book on Amazon. Philip believes that one of the easiest ways to achieve tactical advantage as an entrepreneur is to specialize in a niche that you own. He runs an expertise incubator where he forces his clients to publish something every day on the internet for 90 days. The purpose isn't to spam your followers, but to discover deep insights that can come from consistently thinking and articulating your thoughts. On the show, he actually nudges me to do this with my newsletter list, which I'm hesitant to do so out of fear, believe it or not, and the commitment that comes with showing up every day. As a content creator, I know how hard it is to commit to publishing something once a week, let alone every day. Phil is a master at his craft and helps entrepreneurs transform their businesses into expertise incubators for their niche. We have a great discussion on the show about his methodologies and what it takes to develop and monetize real, true expertise. So stay tuned. All right, Gunny, fire him up. Yo, saddle up, lock and load. You're listening to Dog Whistle Branding, brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media and the Lions Pride, where we provide no fluff and high impact brand strategy and business coaching for veteran owned businesses to keep you in the fight and not face down in a rice paddy. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the godfather of Dog Whistle Branding, founder of Ironbound Media and business coach at the Lions Pride. Before we jump into the show, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter at the link in the show notes or visit our website, dogwhistlebranding.com to stay up to date on all things DWB. All right, get out your pen and paper and get ready to build a dog whistle brand. Saddle up, lock and load. Philip, welcome to Dog Whistle Branding. Mike, thanks so much for having me here. It's good to talk to you today. I've been pestering Philip on LinkedIn. I was like, after I found your book, the positioning uh, manual for indie consultants, I immediately went to LinkedIn to look you up and I started shooting you messages because that's just kind of how my personality is. I'm like an autodidact. So once I come across something, I get super hungry to learn more. And it's like, I got all this in my head and you know, in the internet, we're spread out all over the country, all over the world. So just because I'm focused on positioning and building authority doesn't mean the rest of the world is. And so like, as the, the author of the book and the one that's putting out all this content, I was just so curious to learn more. And I was like, I got to get him on a podcast. So I'm honored to uh, have you here today. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you, you hit me up on LinkedIn. So I think we'll start by having you just introduce yourself to our audience. Well, my name's Philip Morgan and I don't know, seven years ago, um, I, I was stuck on trying to find clients. Someone said, you should specialize. I said, that's scary. <laughs> I sort of did it anyway and felt like I learned enough to write a book. And then I've been kind of rewriting that book ever since then. So I've become an advocate, a sort of champion for the idea that, that people should at least consider specializing. I think it makes a lot of things better, especially when you're starting out um, self-employed, working independently somehow. Big companies don't have to do this. They can, but they don't have to. But when we're small and we're starting out, I think we need every advantage we can get. Specializing is that kind of advantage. It makes some things, not everything like automatically overnight better, but it makes a lot of things easier and better pretty quickly. So I'm an advocate for that. I like talking about it any chance I get. I think even small business owners and early stage startups, right? I say niche down hard, right? Like where do you have that tactical advantage, right? Um, those customers like in your book, I mean, the title of your book is literally the positioning manual for indie consultants. Find the strategic beachhead that will amplify your visibility, momentum, impact, and profit. And in the dog whistle branding ecosystem in the military, we say gain a foothold, right? So we mm -hmm. don't just run in and clear an entire city. 
you got to gain a foothold, which usually is a compound on like the outskirts. And I tie that into niching down, another way of saying specialization. And that's one of the reasons I want to get you on to kind of talk about that, because I do think there's advantages in it. And then there's also the work that has to get done to own a niche, right? To really establish yourself as a specialist. And one of the things I've been talking to my team about with Ironbound Media is I want to have a five to 10 person company. I want to make us the premier brand strategy firm for veteran owned businesses. We do podcasting because podcasting is a great dog whistle to -hmm. communicate and build relationships and rapport. But to be honest, that's a framework too. A whistle can also be a newsletter. It can be LinkedIn, whatever is going to allow you to consistently get out front and communicate with your perfect customer and provide value to them. And so that's why I wanted to talk to you about just to learn more about, you know, some of the challenges that come with, you know, specialization and the work that has to get done to build that authority, because this is not surface level stuff, right? This isn't the, I hate to say his name, the hustle pointers out there, you know, Mm -hmm. just make a hundred bullshit videos and content or create some sales funnel that delivers no value. You know, our tribe, you know, people have sacrificed their lives. They have families to take care of. So if I'm giving them advice or they're spending money with me, I need them to be able to win and I need them to be able to come to a trusted door. So sorry for that long rant. I just, I appreciate having you here. I'm glad to be here. You know, you're making me think of a conversation I had earlier today uh, with a client of mine. He was talking about a podcast that he started and the topic, uh, this will like be obvious for some people and other folks might need a little explanation. So I'll give a little bit of explanation. So the topic, uh, he's a a software developer and the topic is writing uh, embedded software, which it's the kind of software that runs in medical devices, in um, industrial equipment, in cars. They all have software, but there's usually not a user interface. And that software has to be super duper reliable. So he has a podcast that has about 300 listeners and maybe six months in, he's generated, uh, I think he said four leads from this podcast. And what I want listeners to do is just to think about those kind of numbers because they are small numbers. They're really small, but the amount of opportunity represented with the kind of services he offers by four leads is pretty significant. It's not nothing at all. It's a substantial opportunity, but it's come from a super duper tiny audience. Like I think we all look out on the internet and we think about influencers. We think about famous people and we think about their audience in terms of millions of people. And that's appropriate because Uh, that's the kind of audience that those sorts of folks attract, but we compare ourselves to that and we're like, I can never do that. Or 300 is so tiny compared to anything measured in millions. And so we discount the value of these little beachheads that we can establish. And we just, I think we get a little bit deceived by, you know, how big things are or can be on the internet. And we overlook something that's a much more kind of humble, modest start. But like you said, it's that compound that you're establishing outside the city. It gets you closer to your objective. And it's a place of strength that you can operate from. So that's one one thing I would want people to think about is to not overlook the power of something small. I try to think about the internet these days. And I feel like a lot of times it's almost like high school all over again, right? (laughs) Everyone is focused on like being popular, right? Mm -hmm. They got all the downloads. They've got all the followers. But you and I both know for business owners, that doesn't turn to revenue, right? I know plenty of people with tons of followers on Instagram and LinkedIn, et cetera. And they're like a wreck behind the scenes. They got no money in the bank account. Mm -hmm. And we equate that with value versus like timeless books like, Good to Great, written by Jim Collins. Your book, right? Uh, indie cons- the uh, position manual for indie consultants, right? Like, to people like me, right, that is a very valuable book. And that's going to be a reference point we can go to. And for entrepreneurs that are going to be in my shoes five, ten years from now, that's probably going to be a book that they go back and look to. And I feel like, you know, in this culture now, there's so much hustle, hustle, hustle going on that people are afraid to go deep. 
right? That they're afraid to really just like, I don't know, risk being unpopular. And I know like one of the things you emphasize this idea of crafting a point of view. So does my mentor, Christopher Lockhead. And one of my point of views for Dog Whistle Brandon is that I think clicks and impressions are vanity metrics for the majority of veteran-owned businesses. What we're looking for is engagement and we're looking for revenue. So if mm-hmm. I send out a podcast or I write a newsletter, I create a post, are people engaging with that? Are they messaging me? Like you can feel it, you know, when people are resonating with your stuff. And the same thing, like you know whether or not you're you're putting money in the bank account, right? right. Like nobody wants to get briefed up there on, oh, we got this clicks and this impressions. And then it's like, I paid you $20,000. Like, what are we talking about? So in the internet, those smaller niche audiences, and I tell my clients this all the time, downloads are vanity metrics. The quality of your listeners, right? There are some firms out there that pay for podcast listeners and podcast subscribers. And to me, I feel like you're missing the point of what it truly means to build an audience of people that are tuning in week over week, month over month, whenever you uh, release your show to get real value from you instead of these bots so that you can just be popular. Yeah, you mentioned... um... One of the things that actually is measurable, but people um, don't think of it first when they think about measuring your success in marketing, which is conversations. So, you know, that kind of echo back that you said you can feel, that's, I mean, so how could you measure it? I don't know. Uh, you probably don't measure it with a spreadsheet or anything like that. But you, you notice when people have something to say in response to what you are putting out in the world in terms of content and marketing. And that happens, I mean, that can happen with social media. It's a little harder with podcasts, but, you know, if you make it easy for people to contact you, you will hear from people when something matters to them. Um, and if you're publishing to an email list, it's very easy for folks to hit reply subscribers to hit reply and say whatever's on their mind. So that's actually, I think one of the more important things you would, you would want to uh, measure. And again, you might not measure it in a really, really precise way. Like I had, you know, seven conversations in this week, or you might, but the point is you'll notice it. You can't not notice it. And I'm with you. I want folks to pay attention to conversations. Um, as is evident in the title of my book, my focus is on indie consultants. And so much of uh, our opportunity comes about through conversations that lead to a proposal, that lead to checks in the bank. Um, it's, it's so much about conversations. And that can happen in a digital way or it can happen in a face-to-face uh, or remote, but you know, synchronous analog way by talking to people. Either way, it's all about, I think, small conversations leading up to more important, bigger conversations. One of the cool things about you is you actually have a framework for building authority. So let's say our listeners are tuning in. They've heard me beat to death niche down and the importance of specialization. Like you call it, start that strategic beachhead, right? Mm-hmm. Or can you create that market opportunity where you're like a category one? When someone says, I need this and somebody says, I know a guy. Right. Mm-hmm. Example was, um, I think you mentioned on a podcast, his name's Tom Miller from mm-hmm. Small Batch Standard. And I believe that they are a accounting or auditing firm or something along those lines for small batch breweries, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. CPAs for uh, for craft breweries, I think, would be what you would see at the top of their website. And that's that's pretty much all they do. I am not aware that they have any clients who aren't craft breweries. And they, they have maybe two uh, competitors, but their competitors aren't as good as they are. (laughs) Think about how tight of the niche that is, right? That means when they're creating marketing copy, you know, when they're going to events, et cetera, if it's not featuring craft breweries, it's a waste of time because that's, that's who they special. That's who they serve. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really sort of empathetic with what it's like to be unspecialized, to hear folks saying you got to specialize, you got to niche down, you got to, you know, you got to go focused and small. And, and then you hear examples like this, like, oh, there's only one or two competitors, or that seems like a really small market, craft breweries. How many of those could there be? 
So the natural response is probably, you know, like what humans have kind of evolved to do is to say, is there enough food there to feed me and my family? <laughs> right? Like that's our natural response. Is there enough opportunity? And so it is true that what you're looking for is a small market where there's more opportunity than you need, but not too much competition. And it's one that makes it obvious where you focus your business development. Um, the first hurdle you have to get over, like earlier, Mike, you mentioned uh, the challenges that you wanted to talk about. Well, one of those is it's just it's just kind of we don't have a lot of firsthand experience with how these little small niches can be full of opportunity. So I think our first response is, I don't, it's just believing that it can work. Well, a lot of us are like, I, I don't believe that could work. It can work. Um, I have a page on my website. If you go to specializationexamples.com, it'll redirect you to that page. And it's a, just a humble, simple database of examples of others who've specialized. And that can be useful to look through because you can see how others have done it. And then you can kind of think, oh, okay, CPA focused on craft breweries. How many of those are there? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head, but if you did a Google search and look for the, you know, American Craft Brewers Association is probably what it's called. There's an industry association and they'll happily tell you how many craft breweries there are. And there's probably, I don't know, what would you guess, Mike? I'm going to guess between 30 and 50,000 in the country. Yeah, probably that. But the more important thing is there's going to be people that are going to start breweries that haven't done so already. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's not a fixed, know the, not a fixed thing. Yeah. yeah. Veterans start breweries all the time. Yeah. So you yeah. want to carve out a niche, you could be the small batch standard for veteran owned breweries or something. Right. Yeah. So what I'm encouraging people to do is just think for themselves is look at these examples and say, wow, that seems like such a weird, weird, small market. Okay do 10 minutes of research and figure out how big it is. Most markets are bigger than you think, um, except for the market of uh, home washing machine equipment manufacturers. There's only eight of those in the country. <laughs> That's one of the weird facts you pick up when you do the yeah. kind of work that I do. <laughs> I Most of them are big enough. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. I had the epiphany around niching down and we call it category creation too. Yeah. I'm reading the book Play Bigger by uh, Christopher Lockhead. And I just went down this whole rabbit hole on positioning, which led me to April Dunford, who wrote her whole mm -hmm. book. So even in the tech space, right, they have this whole setup for positioning. But yeah. again, I felt like a kindred spirit to you because even just using the word indie, right, indie just means something completely different. It's like, hey, we're away from the establishment, right? Mm -hmm. We're not venture backed. Right. There's a whole indie maker movement out there of entrepreneurs that are launching products and stuff. So that was a dog whistle for me. And you spoke to me and all mm -hmm. your content resonates with me around this topic. Well, and you have a framework in the book about building authority. Right. Because authority building is a lot different than trying to get clicks on LinkedIn or mm -hmm. TikTok and Instagram. What you're saying is that, like, you have this portfolio of work and this expertise. It's like there and it's proven. And talk to us about your framework. And I'm because I got some questions because I'm nervous about one of them, the day, the publishing daily. OK, so my framework is like stupidly simple, um, but I, I've guided people through this. I've done it myself. So I have evidence that it, it works, but it's not easy. So <laughs> there's really three parts. The first is uh, I want folks to publish daily to an email list if they want to go down this road. And first of all, I want them to know what they're getting into. Um, at, let me, so let me just describe the whole thing. And then I want to talk first about the, you mentioned the daily publishing. So we'll talk more about that, but first the whole thing. So we publish daily and um, try to do it for 90 days. Um, try to make it through that length of time. The second is, it kind of flows out of the first. The second is that you would do some research and we can kind of define that a little bit more because that's another kind of scary word to people. Um, I mean, people eat daily. They do all kinds of things daily that are easy and natural. But when you say publish daily, they kind of freak out. Uh, and the third part is, is to publish your research. And this is a framework that tends to build authority in a small niche market. So that's the framework, publish daily, 
do some small scale research and then publish the results of your research. And in about, you know, if you're, if you're successful with this in about nine months, you can get through this kind of cycle. But the first part is publishing daily. Again, we do all kinds of things daily. We eat multiple times a day, go to the bathroom multiple times a day. Um, daily habits are the easiest to maintain once they're in place. Get addicted to smoking cigarettes. You're probably going to do that daily. You know, they're, they're the easiest habits to maintain. The hardest thing to do is if I, if someone came to me and said, I want help with content marketing, Philip, what should I do? And I wanted to give them the hardest possible task. I would say, write an amazing thing and publish once a month and do that every month. And that would be harder than publishing daily. And I, I mean, unless your life is complete chaos, daily is easier than less frequent. I guarantee it. I, I rarely say things so emphatically, but what you have to do to make that work is you have to publish smaller, less, you know, thoroughly researched things. But when you do that, you build up a little audience of people who are on that email list. They start to see you as a friendly expert, constant presence in their life. And that's a very interesting flip in your, your, your status with them because they start to see you as this accessible um, person who has so much to say about whatever your topic is that you just can't help but publish daily. And that builds authority in a really weird, subtle way. So on one of your podcasts offline, great podcast, mm -hmm. by the way, for people that are building internet businesses, uh, what, how, what's the title? How do you say it? People that are building internet businesses, something? Yeah, sort of remote online yeah. businesses, yeah. And you have an episode titled Newsletters Are Dead. <laughs> because now, right, like I check my email every day and I have, I get emails from Medium. I'm subscribed to stuff, right? So, you know, we're competing for attention, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, I'm curious to know why newsletters, right? And does that still apply today? Because... Here's another thing, other mediums, exploring other mediums, podcasting, social, et cetera. Because I like to say this, if Peter Drucker was alive today, who is by far like the godfather of management, you know, whatever, management business, management consultant, whatever you want to call it, because he published 30 books mm -hmm. on the subject. Would Peter Drucker publish 30 books today or would he have 30 different podcasts? That's a good question. Um <laughs> I mean, it's, it's an interesting kind of launching off point for what's the same and what's different. There is such a, a difference in the barrier to entry with something like a podcast versus a book. Books still are a sort of gold standard for like a good book is it has unique power, but there's. I mean, there's such a different advantage to using your human voice to express ideas. And I would like to think that they would, well, I mean, a lot of authors do both. Um, so probably what would Peter Drucker do? I imagine both, but I'm really getting, I'm speculating. <laughs> um, I don't have any inside knowledge into what he would do, but there's a unique power to the human voice. Um, I'm subscribed to some excellent newsletters that come out a few times a week or once a week. So you can, here's the thing, you can make a lot of things work, but there's also a unique power to showing up daily in someone's inbox with something small but valuable. If it's small, it's digestible. They're already in their inbox. They're doing a lot of things there. But if, if the size is really small, there's less reason for them to hit delete or say, I'll read this later. The, you know, the, the dynamics are aligned where folks can say, I'll read this now. And if it's valuable, it starts to carve out a little place in your reader's head where you're the person who tells them how to think about branding or positioning or 
whatever it is, email marketing. So there's room for all of these things. I mean, yes, the, the media landscape is very crowded and noisy and there's way more than any one person could ever consume ever. But I think, um, I mean, what's great about podcasting is, you know, people can be on the go away from the computer and consume. That's awesome. Uh, what's great about books is, you know, people are sort of not always sort of monotasking while they're reading a book, but it sort of invites that, that, you know, take this stuff seriously. I, I cared enough to package this up into a book. So take these ideas seriously and carve out space in your mind for these. And the value of those little frequent daily emails is folks are in their inbox. You get a chance to say, hey, think about this. Think about how changing, a friend of mine, Jonathan Stark, writes about pricing. Think about how changing how you price things could be beneficial to you. And, you know, it takes less than a minute to read most of his emails. But every day it's like a little, you know, dripping water wearing away a stone. It, it, over time, it's very powerful. So I guess that's my answer, Mike, is I think all these things can coexist. Uh, I'm not sure every person should do you know, all of the things, you got to pick a few things where you have an advantage. But uh, I think there's still room for all of them. I don't think, uh, I mean, despite our provocative podcast title, I'm not sure um, email is anywhere near dead. <laughs> Here's one thing I will say, though, there is something powerful about the written word. And you hint at it a lot. I know you hint at it. you talk about it in your videos and your content about it forces you to kind of go on this exploration of how do you explain these things, right? And I go through that when I do solo podcasts, it's hard, but the yeah. written word is a little bit different. It's that little bit extra. And I've noticed, right, I'm a fellow at the Hoover Institution through the Veteran Fellowship Program. So when you think of Hoover, right, you've got all these old timers that have been writing and publishing for like 40, 50 years. George Schultz, you know, recently passed away. Um, Henry Kissinger is still there. And their brains and their psyche are still, they're still sharp. Even in those old age. Yeah. And it's because they're publishing, they're writing, they're communicating, right? And so I do think our society still values that kind of written word from an authority building uh, perspective. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I agree with you. Um, one of the things that is really hard about this challenge that I put out there for folks to publish daily is you will have to ship um, unfinished thoughts and thinking. And what you'll have to do is give yourself permission to develop those over time. But if you're going to publish this, I mean, unless you just have nothing else going on in life, <laughs> you're going to publish stuff that's half-baked and your audience and your natural instinct is like, I don't want to do that. Uh, that's risky. People will judge me. They'll think I'm not an expert. They'll think, I don't know what I'm talking about. And, um, you'll be right a small percentage of the time and you'll be wrong most of the time if that's what you believe because what folks appreciate more is you showing up and trying to help through through these small daily emails they appreciate that far more than they will be critical of any shortcomings in it so when we think about using writing as a tool to develop our thinking there's a huge potential there but you have to lower your standards and publish what you do even knowing it's not perfect, because if you just do that over time, it will get better and it'll realize the potential that you're talking about, Mike, which is to keep your mind sharp and help you develop your thinking and put it out in the world in a really compelling way. So if your business is about expertise, this is a really powerful tool that you can use to, to increase your expertise. It's not the only one, but it's really powerful. How do you help your clients overcome the fear of spam in their list because these growth hackers are out here blowing up our email they didn't even get our email address and now you're telling us hey instead of sending out our weekly newsletter mm -hmm. you know i want you to send out a newsletter every every day of the week for the 90 days and beyond so um it depends on their risk tolerance um if they have a somewhat higher risk tolerance i say just do it just start doing it if you have a list if you don't then there's no problem, right? You know, you're, yeah, I want you to try to put a little bit of effort into building a list, but mostly if you don't have a list, don't worry about it. If you do have a list, start doing it. If you can handle that, the idea of doing that. 
and just trust that pe some people, of course, will unsubscribe. That's fine. But just trust that it's the right thing for you. Give it a try. If, if someone rejects that idea, then I say, um, just invite your entire list to join a smaller segment that gets the daily emails and use your email list software's uh, tagging or segmentation ability to set that up. And some small portion of the list will opt into this daily segment. Um, that's, and then the, the third option is set up like a private email list using a whole different platform. You know, if you're using ConvertKit or ActiveCampaign or MailChimp uh, and and you have a, you know, a sizable list there and you don't want to change anything for them, then set up some small list on Substack or Review or something like that and do your daily emailing there. It is so much better if you have an audience for this, because if you don't have an audience, if you don't publish, even if it's a tiny audience, then really you're just sort of journaling for yourself, which has some benefit. But I want people to publish this because they'll get over some foundational fears about sharing their thinking with the public if they publish it, if they commit to publishing it. And they get over those fears, they become more bold and assertive in sharing their thinking. And that opens up the path to what we call thought leadership. One of the things that's important about building authority is research as well. You call it micro research. So it's not like we're submitting a dissertation or anything, but being thoughtful and exploring the unknown, something that you're trying to gain more clarity about, and then sharing those insights with your uh, listeners or subscribers, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking about what kind of micro research can I do? You know, um, going out there and learning about best practices for better known brands, right? Like how have brands succeeded in CPG? You know, have they expanded into new markets all with that veteran kind of angle? So you've got my head spinning on the importance of micro research. Yeah. So what's a question that that you have about the effectiveness of podcasting? Let's let's start with that, since that's near and dear to your heart. Like what's a if a client says, uh, why should I invest in a podcast? Like what are the areas of uncertainty? They are not sure how it's going to impact their business. So a okay. lot of them are not as familiar with podcasting. Mm -hmm. And so when I say that, listen, this will fill your client funnel if you do it mm -hmm. correctly. Um, and a lot of them uh, are nervous because it's a new medium, right? So it's like they've seen the way people have done in the past. Like you said, building a newsletter, go to conferences, et cetera. They can't fathom that they can sit and do this, you know, um, over the Internet and that that's just as valuable, if not more than the digital marketing firm that they're paying God knows how much money a month to post on their Instagram. Okay. There's at least two uh, little small scale research projects in there. So sometimes uh, let me throw out a few disclaimers. So a lot of us hear the word research. We think about the academic or scientific context for research. We think, Oh, um, you know, this is stuff that's going to inform public policy. It has to be extremely uh, rigorous in terms of its uh, you know, usage of, of statistical methods and uh, its, its general use of methods. We think, oh, that, that's not for us. There's a whole other category of small-scale research where you're just trying to understand more about something where you don't have a good answer to. You're just, it's really, it's accelerated learning. So if you wanted to um, help clients who have this kind of hesitation about trying podcasting, one thing you could do is say, okay, I'm an advocate for that, but I'm going to set my advocacy aside for a minute. And instead, I'm going to try to be objective. And so the first way you could approach small scale research, Mike, is you could just try to collect stories that are across the board, how does this work? What does this look like? And you could create for your clients um, a kind of collection of examples for them to look at. You would try to be unbiased. You want the good and the bad, but you want them to be able to, without like feeling influenced by you, just look at what are veteran-owned businesses doing with podcasting? And so you find all the podcasts that you can that are clearly from veteran-owned businesses, and you build a database of examples. 
and maybe you kind of enrich that. It's not just a listing of podcasts where you make the users of this database do all the work. It is a, okay, here's all the examples of podcasts I could find, and then here's a little bit of commentary. Okay, this one is, you know, 30-minute interviews. This one is hour-long dialogues or monologues or whatever, right? Like you kind of characterize them so that people can see what's happening out there in the landscape. That's research. That's work for you, but you're doing it to serve your clients and address their uncertainty. That's at least, that's one way you could approach this. The other, I think, is you could look at that same list of veteran-owned businesses that are producing podcasts, and you could try to look at what's effective and what's not. And that would be beneficial for you as an advisor to your clients. Oh, it seems like when they do this, it works better. And maybe you reach out to those podcast hosts and you arrange interviews with them. And you're like, hey, I, I want to know how it's going. You're doing this podcast. Is it working? And because they're talking to you and this information is going to be anonymized to a certain extent, you can get some information about, does this drive leads for you? Does this generate new business? Um, what have you tried? What seemed to work? What didn't? So you're doing some real work in service of your clients and it's research. That's, that's my going, pitch. <laughs> yeah, that's going on. That's going beyond just kind of basic content marketing, right? It's yeah. like now you're going a little bit, you're going a little bit deeper. You're putting some time and effort in. How yeah. much are clients been in on client research, on micro research correction, correction? You know, usually it's way, it's all the expenses in the time and effort column and almost none is in the money column. Sometimes you can kind of spend a little money on, um, like say you hire someone on Upwork to build that list of, of podcasts that are clearly from veteran owned businesses. And, you know, a little bit of thought and creativity goes into how you build that list and you pay somebody else to build the list for you. For example, it is almost always a sweat equity thing. Um, you can, I mean, you can pay firms to do this kind of thing for you. There are firms that will produce like a research product for your business and that's fine if, you're, if your goal is, I just want this as a marketing asset, this like research report. But I think that you learn so much more if you involve yourself in it. So it's, it is a real commitment of time and effort. Like think about what it would, let's say you found 30 podcasts that are veteran-owned businesses and you want to do some level of kind of snooping around online, so to speak, and learn what you can about those. That's you know, probably 40 hours of work right there. And then you want to interview the folks who run those podcasts and let's, you know, be wildly optimistic and assume hundred percent say, yeah, sure. We can do an interview. You're not publishing the interview. The interview is for your research and you set it up for 30 minutes, but it goes long in some cases. Well, that's another like 30 hours. That's a lot of time. So that's the kind of cost people are looking at for something like this, mostly a time cost, but a significant one. You know, even just as we're talking, right, I probably do a lot of research because I listen to, I'm an audio addict. So I'm mm -hmm. constantly listening to podcasts, mm -hmm. constantly going down rabbit holes. But, you know, an important part of being an authority is you got to share this research yeah. that you're doing with someone. Yeah. And I take it for granted. And I don't know if you do as well, but like when I'm focused on something, it's like front and center. So. Right startups, business, positioning, et cetera. And I take it for granted that like our, there's a tons of people out there that have no idea the knowledge that you and I know, mm -hmm. because even though it's readily available, they can have access to the same YouTube and stuff. Their feed looks different. Their LinkedIn yeah. looks different. And so it is that, you know, getting out of your comfort zone and saying, Hey, even though I assume that this is common sense and obvious, because I've read like 20 books on the subject, there's tons of people out there who haven't. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And th that raises the question, how do you, how do you find these people? How do you reach them? Um, I mean, I think, I think a lot of times there's a, a huge surplus of opportunity. Like there's more opportunity than we need. I think that, I mean, maybe every startup founder believes that and not all of them make it. <laughs> yeah. 
So um, it's not always true, but I think it's a helpful starting point to just believe that there's more opportunity than I could ever um, soak up with my business. There's more opportunity than I ever need. And I think if, if you have that as a starting point belief, then you say, great, I just need to find that excess opportunity. Um, and if you're, if you're saying, okay, there's more people who need answers to this question that I have expertise on. There's more of those people than I have discovered. And you apply that same kind of thinking. How do I find them? Um, well, I, you know, one, one answer to that is I just make my thinking as accessible and available as possible within the limits of my time and energy. And I just trust that those people will find it. Like that's one way, but you can also be a little more strategic. You can say, I like guesting on podcasts. Who are podcast hosts that might have people in their audience that need this information? Reach out to them, pitch, pitch them, <laughs> right? So you can, you can be totally passive and say, well, I'm just going to publish this on the internet and trust that people find it. But you can start being a bit more active as well. And that gets us back in a way to where we started. Who do you reach out to? Who do you proactively say, you have an audience, maybe they want to hear about this. What do you think? Focus, having a clear focus helps so much with that. Do you think people are afraid to use the term expert and specialization? And, you know, I know you cover imposter syndrome in your book, but yeah. it's like when you talk about entrepreneurship, brand building and all this other stuff, right? Yeah. The people that are walking around saying that they're experts are the ones that have the million dollar exit, the billion dollar exits. And they turn around and they write a book or they work for McKinsey and they do all this other stuff versus those of us out here who learned in the school of hard knocks. You know, we're getting constant input. We're in the community. We understand the challenges, but we have to, like Steph Godin says, you got to ship, you know, you got to step up. And, you know, do you think people are afraid to do that, to be like Muhammad Ali and say, nobody believed I'm the greatest until I said I was. Yeah, I do think there's a fear of that. Some of it comes from good places because, you know, if you've been in the trenches, you re you gain humility, I think. And you see others who don't seem to have that humility, who use the term expert. I'm an authority. I'm a thought leader. And I think you rightly judge them for being a little too um, casual with that term. I think that that's okay, honestly, <laughs> because if you're coming from a place of humility and you're like, the world's a big, complicated place not everything works every time. And so to go around saying your, your one-dimensional solution is going to fix everything is arrogant. Okay, I think that's fine. I, I can get behind that. But also, you know, if you have that humility and you have the expertise, then I think you can credibly use the word, I'm an expert in this thing. And so if, if you feel resistance in using that word to apply to yourself, I get it, but also, um, at the end of the day, it's like, show me the goods, you know, show me that this is thoughtful stuff that is reasonably successful in the world. And so in a way, I think everyone should transcend those labels and just like, show me the goods, show me that your, your, um, your knowledge and your expertise actually works. So I'm a little bit divided on that. Like, yes, people should embrace that that role and they should cultivate that expertise. But I understand the backlash to, to folks who are using the word inappropriately. And so if someone is kind of like, well, I don't want to use it because I don't want to be associated with those one dimensional experts. I get it. I, I, I respect that. One of the benefits of podcasts is like, you're thinking out loud. So even while, mm -hmm. you know, me and you're having this discussion, like I think about myself, right? I've recorded God knows how many podcasts with veteran-owned businesses, maybe mm -hmm. like 400 or so at this point. Wow. And I've done all these conferences and I've been in the ecosystem pounding pavement. And so whether how you perceive yourself or not, you know, as a podcast host, people perceive you as an expert just being in the room, facilitating the conversations. And so it's like reverse engineering that process. So if you have 
a hesitancy to brand yourself as an expert, as a specialist, what would you need to do to make yourself comfortable? And it's like, yo, I wrote 100 case studies. <laughs> you know, I put all this research out there. Damn it. I'm an expert. You know why? Because if someone wants to know the knowledge and insights I know, they can walk that same path right there. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm already starting, you know, 100 feet ahead and they're starting at square one. So you can go to that guy over there or you can go and let my portfolio, you know, kind of speak for itself. And for us as veterans, I'll tell you, you know, we are less humble. I won't say less humble. The civilian world kind of encourages that kind of chest bumping, you mm -hmm. know, that look at me. I'm important. Right. Mm -hmm. You should listen to me. And most of us are like our community. We don't really like respect that. Right. Mm -hmm. But in order to succeed, you have to come out of your shell. Otherwise, you'll just fade into obscurity. Like you got to write a book. You got to put thoughts and stuff out there. And a lot of people are afraid. And that's why you see even outside of veteran community, all these people very rarely contribute on the Internet. Right. They lurk. They read. They watch the videos. But a very small percentage of people are actually out there creating value for others. Yeah, I think there's an opportunity to um, to maybe get out of that kind of reserved place, that quiet place, by picking a problem that you really care about. Uh, and maybe you can do 10 different things for clients. But maybe this one problem is motivating to you like it kind of upsetting, like you're, you're pissed that people still face this problem and seem held back by it. And you say, okay, there's 10 things I could do, but this one thing out of those 10 is it's motivating to me. I'm, I want to do something about it. And you pick that as the sort of beachhead where you get started being vocal, being public with your thinking knowing that there's plenty of other stuff you can do, but that's a good starting point. I would propose that that's a way to start being more vocal online. And so, and, and it does not matter if the problem is like ridiculous, like I, I'll, this is a cartoonish example, but um, let's say that you just can't stand that people's websites are so me focused and they, they should be more client focused. And there's plenty of things you could do. I, obviously, I'm talking to someone who's a marketer, right? There's plenty of things you could do, but you start the, you know, me-focused website newsletter <laughs> and you publish about that. Again, it's a little bit of a cartoonish example, but it, it connects to that thing that almost everybody has some kind of pet peeve or something that they're really, really annoyed about. Start there. And the converse, it'll naturally grow and expand over time, but that's your starting point. I'll tell you what I did. My first book is called Black Veteran Entrepreneur. You know why? Because I kept going to all these conferences and events, whatever, and I walk in a room and I'm like, why are there not more black veteran entrepreneurs here? Mm -hmm. And then the black veteran entrepreneurs I would talk to are struggling to get mm -hmm. their ventures off the ground. You know why? Because they're following Silicon Valley advice that is not going to invest in them. And the reason mm -hmm. I know this is because the numbers don't lie, right? Uh, a very small percentage of African-Americans, period, get investment from venture funds, angel investors, et cetera. And mm -hmm. black veteran entrepreneurs fall within that category. And so the problem I saw was like, how do I make it to where more of us make it to the top of the mountaintop, right? So I call it lifting as we climb. So I'm not trying to be the only one up there and have a hundred bodies buried in the graveyard. It's like, <laughs> how can we increase our chances of success to where instead of for every one of us that succeeds, 10 of us fail, 50 of us. And I was like, I'm going to write a book called Black Veteran Entrepreneur that is going to put you in the best possible position to succeed uh, as you launch your venture. And so I went down that rabbit hole and I started writing. And one of the challenges I'm facing now, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, even writing this book is taking so much cognitive load out of my brain, you know, between mm -hmm. podcasting, right? And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, I want to continue this authority building because I like learning. I just love learning and reading and writing, et cetera. That's my aspiration to do that. I told my team, scale me out of client delivery. So all I can do is read, write, and podcast. But like if you're publishing to an email list every day, how do you have time to write essays? You know, how do you have time to go deep on a podcast or 
et cetera. So my first uh, response about the book, it's worth it. Keep going. That's so unhelpful because uh, you have to figure out how to do it yourself. But I'm not convinced anyone can figure it out for you. Like I would say that to anybody, not just you, Mike. Um, keep going. It's worth it. The, the, the work that it takes to make a, a book that you feel like is good enough so that it's worth somebody else's time. It's not the money. I mean, you're going to sell the book for, I mean, even if you sell it for 50 bucks at the end of the day, um, and most people spend, I would think over their life between a hundred thousand and a million dollars in money. That's like, they just were trying stuff to see if it was right for them. Don't worry about the money. Okay. It's, it's really that person's time. Is it good enough to be worth two or three hours or more of their time to read it? It's worth caring that much. Um, so with the daily emailing, there's usually I, something that works for someone. So it's like at the end of the day, you're trying to flush out your brain and you, you want to write hundred words, 200 words, uh, it takes you 20, 30 minutes and you're just kind of getting some thought out of your head that you feel like is worth sharing. That's a pattern that works for some people. Other people, it's like first thing in the day. They, they wake up and they're like, they want to start their day with creating some value for their email list audience. And so that's, for me, that was the time that worked. There was a part of my brain that wasn't fully awake. <laughs> that was like the self-critical part of my brain. And I felt like that was such a good time because that part of my brain wasn't awake yet. It wasn't criticizing me and I could get something out and sort of encourage people or provoke people in a little bit more bold and assertive way than I normally would. So first thing in the morning was good for me. But basically, those are the two patterns that I find work for most people. They're carving out time on the margins of their day at the end or the beginning. So if you've been you know, laboring over this book and you reach, maybe for you, it's the end of the day. I don't know, but you're like, you know, the biggest idea I talked about today was this. And so you write a few sentences in an email and you schedule it up for the next day or you send it right then. That's something that can work. So I would encourage you to think in those terms. I'm not sure it's going to work for you, but that's the starting point. You've held multiple podcasts right? You've got the offline podcast. You've got your own podcast. You've been doing this for seven years, right? Mm -hmm. Some people are just now coming into platforms, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's a newsletter, podcast, video, et cetera, right? Today, like mm -hmm. what are the best platforms? Like what are the platforms you encourage your clients to prioritize? I know you said newsletter. I'm assuming it's number one, even more so than writing on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, all that other stuff. But beyond the newsletter, what are other platforms you recommend people lean into for building authority? I wish that I wish there was one answer because um, I've seen I've seen so many journeys. I do think an, an email list is a good starting point. So, but I've seen people start with that and then figure out that podcasting works way better for them, and and they're busy, so they they you know, just stop emailing the list and the podcast starts to produce the results they want and it fits with their life. Like the example I gave earlier in this podcast, a podcast audience, this is a client of mine, podcast audience of 300 people or so. Um, and like that does what it needs to for him. So he now has, I don't know, starting about to talk about starting his third podcast, right? So that worked for him. Email was the starting point. It was a good way to get started. Um, I've seen other folks where it just, the email list keeps working. Um, I've seen folks sit down, turn on a webcam and talk about some topic, publish it on LinkedIn and get, uh, you know, people talking about, can we hire you as a result? So I, Honestly, Mike, I, th I feel like you have to experiment with several different things. Um, I think if you, I think there are places where there's a lot of uh, pretty good signal 
already. Like if you wanted to review uh, equipment on YouTube, it would be pretty tough to start up a good channel that has success with that. Cause there's already people doing that and doing really high level work. So I think it's more a question of, I mean, yes, there's a million newsletters. Yes. There's a, a zillion podcasts. Um, but if you look at places where your thinking is, can be clearly communicated, it's newsletters, podcasts, and then sometimes video. I think video is a little more demanding than just audio like we're doing and, um, and a newsletter. So maybe I would suggest, obviously, I'm just kind of thinking out loud about this as you ask the question, but, you know, newsletter, podcast, maybe video. I don't know what else would be a really good, safe starting point for folks. I think there's just something about writing and podcasting, you know, that there's just something about it, right? Like I, even in my network, right. People tell me like, you're like the only podcaster I know. So they'll listen to a ton of them, but those of us that are not afraid to get on the mic and share our thoughts, um, there's just something about it. And so, you know, what fires you up now? What gets you excited the most? Because you've been doing this journey a minute and you entrepreneurship is hard. I don't care if you're an indie consultant, you run a billion dollar tech startup. It is hard. And so, you know, part of what we have to do, I like to tell our clients, I want to make Ironbound Media the best part of your week. You know, so what fires you up? What keeps you energized? So for me, when I look at how people talk about marketing, so, um, there's a li- it's a little better in the um, in what I call the commodity space. So a commodity is anything that can be produced scalably at a you know reasonable price. It's not necessarily something that's like generic or undifferentiated. Um, but when I look at the commodity space, there's pretty good research on why people uh, buy, how they understand brands. But I think in the services space, especially custom services, so it's not repeatable in the same way that producing uh, a can of soda is or producing a Mercedes Benz is like, those are all commodities, even though we think of the Mercedes as like an expensive thing it is, but every Mercedes is the same. Basically they all, I mean, they have different trim packages and whatnot, but they're essentially the same thing. They're produced on a, on an assembly line. Um, So in the non-commodity space, I think there's not much research on how people make buying decisions. That's what's exciting to me right now. That's what I'm wanting to start to do some more research on. So that's kind of like, I can't imagine that being exciting to a lot of other people. But if you read books on marketing, including mine, by the way, a lot of them are, these are really, uh, these are ideas that are well-tested. So they seem to work, but that's based on something other than talking to clients about why they buy. So I want to do more of that. That's the thing I'm excited about, Mike. Well, man, Phil, I appreciate you spending this time with me and my audience. Phil's time is literally worth a hundred thousand dollars a minute. Go to his website. I'm not joking. He just gave you all um tons of value. And I'll say like, the longer I'm an entrepreneur, the more I appreciate experts. You know, like, you know, when you first come in the game, you go to Barnes and Nobles and you read all the business books and you see what's popular. But then when you're really trying to solve a specific pain and you're curious, those ebooks, man, Phil, I've been purchasing a lot of ebooks lately because I appreciate someone that's not only taking the time to share their thoughts and publish it. Um, and even though it's a hard channel to do because the ROI, right? People, people look down on just ebooks for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But I get tons of value out of indie publishers out there that are just sharing their best practices because it's hard for someone like myself to see myself as like a Tim Ferriss or whatever, right? But mm-hmm. somebody two, three steps ahead of you that took the time to write uh, and publish their thoughts and publish some intellectual property, that's super powerful. And so when I think about the company I'm building here at Ironbound, right, I want to have something that leaves a bridge for other people to follow. So I want to be that kind of company where we're writing and we're publishing the way we do things. We're sharing our thoughts. We're podcasting. And, uh, you know, your content that I've been consuming online and this uh, interview today has been super helpful with me bringing that vision to life. And so, you know, as we close out, let our listeners know um, how they can support and potentially work with you and everything that you're doing um, at the Expert Incubator. 
um, as well as your book. And you've got, you just got tons of uh, value out on the internet already. Well, thank you for that, Mike. That's really good to hear that that's useful stuff. That reminds me, that's one of the other things I'm kind of getting more excited about is education that's really task focused. So it's not super broad or about big ideas, but it's like, you've got a job to do. Let me help you do that job. Anyway, um, so there's the website, philipmorganconsulting.com. There's just one L in Philip. Um, and then I would really specifically point folks to the positioningcrashcourse.com. That's an email course. It's free, seven short daily lessons. And positioningcrashcourse.com, I think, is a good next step for a lot of listeners because um, hopefully they've heard a, a pretty, like, not to quote Fox News, but like a fair and balanced um, like view of this whole idea about specialization. So if they're curious, I think that's a good next step to learn more. Uh, positioningcrashcourse.com. Well, Phil, it's been a, Philip, it's been an honor to have you here today. For all our listeners, if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the Dog Whistle Brandon newsletter at the link in the show notes. I try to my best to send out a newsletter at least once a week, every morning at, at a Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. But Philip is challenging me to send out a daily. Is it going to be daily? It might be daily, folks. It might be daily, (laughs) y'all. So they're going to kick me out their inbox. They're like, Mike, you better not spam my inbox daily. But uh, no, in all seriousness, uh, be sure to subscribe to newsletter. And I'll be sure to include a link uh, to Philip's website as well as resource to his book. Right. So you can go purchase his book on Amazon. So until next time, everyone, peace, love. Have a great rest of your week. Dog Whistle Branding is brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media, where we provide no-fluff and high-impact brand strategy for veteran-owned businesses. We believe that audio is the future of publishing, and we're committed to leading the movement for the veteran entrepreneurial community. You can learn more by visiting our website, ironboundmedia.com. This series is powered by The Lion's Pride, a professional training and coaching company for badass founders. We serve mission-driven, high-performing small business owners with at-the-ready resources, battle-tested tools, and full-service support. We're proud to support veteran and other badass-owned businesses at every stage of growth. You can learn more and get more at thelionspride.com. We'll be right back. 